Welcome, Atlantic, and all you podcast listeners out there. Um, really excited uh, for our fourth episode of Wellness at Work with Wes. Uh, I have my dear friend Kelly Jean Moore as our guest today. Uh, Kelly has been a guiding light in my uh, yoga journey for well over 10 years um, and uh, somebody I respect greatly. Um, just to give you a little, well, first, welcome, Kelly. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm going to give you a little background on Kelly. She has been uh, teaching yoga in Charleston, South Carolina for over 16 years. Uh, she is also a professional rolfer, which we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, she's been doing that for over seven years. Uh, Kelly is a local yoga legend. Oh um, her, uh, her studio, Mission Yoga, where we are uh, sitting today, uh, is a destination for many of the city's yoga teachers who come to study their craft. Uh, Kelly's classes are modern, practical, and potent, and I can speak to that myself. Um, she focuses on therapeutic and mental aspects of yoga uh, while always offering opportunities for dynamic growth through the body. Uh, she's developed her own system of yoga, uh, Sarayana Yoga, uh, and it is a synthesis of Hatha Yoga, Chinese medicine, and rolfing concepts that uncover each practice practitioner's inherent skill and wisdom. Uh, so again, welcome Kelly. Thank you for being here. Um, let's delve into, uh, all things yoga. All right, let's go. Let's go. Um, so I thought we would start with, um, first and foremost, um, what is yoga? Um, historically, uh, it's a very old practice, uh, as we know. Um, so if you could give us some historical, um, background on the practice and, and then also what is yoga today in your opinion, uh, specifically, uh, in this country and, and how has it evolved over uh, the last, uh, millennia, I guess. Yeah. Well, the, so the question is, um, kind of like a, a tiny brain bomb in and of itself. What is yoga? The word yoga means union. Okay, so if we go all the way back to the old Sanskrit, yoga means union, or it means to yoke, or to bring something under one's control, to have a quality of mastery, or to bring something together with something else. Okay, so what is it that's being brought together in all the practices historically? And there are so many different practices of yoga, different styles of yoga. And now, you know, when we say yoga today, we mean modern postural yoga. Most of the yoga, not all, but I'd say 90% of the yoga in America and really everywhere in the world that is popular that people see it and they say, oh, that's yoga. Oh, that's yoga. That's modern postural yoga. And postural yoga comes from Hatha yoga. Hatha yoga is not very old. Um, there's a lot of stuff that came before it. All of them, though, all the way back to the very oldest practices, the meditative practices of yoga, really fundamentally are linked by this one word, yoga, which is both a set of practices and a result of, from those practices that we get, which is this state of union or bringing things back together or bringing things into integration, which is a rolfing word, which I'm mildly obsessed with. So, um, and when you say postural yoga, um, you're really talking about when we see people on a mat that are doing poses and moving from one pose to the yeah. next, that we're mm -hmm. talking about movement practice. Right, which is not where yoga started at all. Okay, so it so originally yoga was not about movement practice at all. No, it's definitely not an exercise like that. It has become that it has has definitely transformed into something that we would consider group fitness a lot of times. Um, that's not where the most benefit lies to me in the practice of yoga is treating it as group fitness. However, um, we could go, you know, it's 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 difficult unless we had like hours and hours and hours to show you a timeline. We could unpack it with a timeline so you could see the different developmental periods of yoga. But to try to sum it up quickly, I would say that in ancient India and really everywhere in the ancient world, humans were trying to figure out much as they are today, why they were, why, why we're here, why we're alive and how to live in a state of um, alignment or grace or peace, right? Or ease, just like, there's so much struggle. There's so much uh, suffering in the human experience. And there always has been, it's not just a modern man's issue. You know, there's always been suffering and- There was suffering before the iPhone? Supposedly. Okay. Yeah, I mean, 
2,000 years of Buddhist thought would say so, because that's a whole wisdom tradition around trying to understand, unpack, and end suffering. So, yeah, um, the teachings of Christ also about ending suffering. So, anyways, back to the beginning. Uh, that's what this comes from. This practice comes from a, a process of inquiry, holding a place for questions, and longing for a sense of growth or peace or, or to know the truth might even be another way to say it, to see things as they really are and to let yourself be as you really are. And that has been worked with that concept in lots of different ways. But historically, it was a meditative practice. When yoga finally gets sort of defined, um, we see it really pretty clearly defined as a meditative practice and a practice of um, morality in life, along with practices of mindfulness, techniques of working with the mind um, that got established by someone named Patanjali. So there's a really famous uh, chunk of books called the Yoga Sutras. And you don't, you know, nobody listening needs to go out and buy them unless they're really nerdy and they get inspired. Um, they're best studied with a teacher. They're not a great read by themselves. In fact, anytime you buy the Yoga Sutras now, you get a copy of it. There's about 18,000 different translations. Each translation comes from a different perspective, and they're mostly um, commentary. So the, each, each Yoga Sutra book is mostly commentary. The actual sutras are very tiny. Sutra means thread, so it's like a tiny little piece of information. But the Yoga Sutras defined yoga for the first time, and that's a period called classical yoga. Um, classical yoga is very much, as I said, a meditative practice. There is no asana. Asana means posture. Okay. okay? So nowadays when we say postures, we're talking about these, these poses, these forms that you make with your body, that you breathe into. For various reasons, we do these things with our body. But originally... So down dog, yeah. warrior one, warrior right. two, the things that most people would be familiar right, with. Right, exactly. Those stretchy things. Those stretchy things. Pushy, stretchy, lungy things, yeah. Those are, those are, we're not in existence. Now, people will argue this because in the Yoga Sutras, he has something called the eight limbs of yoga. And the first two limbs are actually practices done in, in your life. I'm not even going to get into those because they'll blow people's minds. That would be, again, another, you know, we'd have to do this every week for a month to get, unpack those. But um, the third limb of yoga is asana in the Yoga Sutras. So people will say, oh, yes, asana has been around. But asana didn't mean postural yoga at the time asana meant the seat it meant how you sit while you do these contemplative practices it, it literally meant how you relate to and experience your body in gravity while you do these contemplative practices so it was only one posture it was your posture human posture sitting standing posture not a shape that you would take on of you know a dog with his tail in the air. So that sure. came much later. And he defined, Patanjali defined yoga as uh, yoga chitta vritti narodaha. Do you remember this one? I do. <laughs> yoga chitta vritti narodaha. And that loosely is translated as yoga is the calming of the fluctuations of the mind. So that, like, what's the point of that? Why would you calm the fluctuations of the mind? so that we can more fully perceive the nature of reality. The more we perceive fully the nature of reality, the less we suffer. Yeah. Or at least suffer unnecessarily. Sure. Okay, so that's like the big heady stuff. Ugh. No, that's great. That's a good place to start. Yeah. So um, in today's modern society, what really has developed as what we see as yoga when we're walking down the street and pass a yoga studio is this is the asana piece that's the part that has become right. the most accessible for people well it's hatha so hatha practice comes later and hatha is brilliant when people when they hear this i think people assume that i'm saying that we should really get back to that and i don't think that that's the case the meditative practices are part of it but i think that hatha was and hatha means like the forceful path these people were figuring out oh if I use my body, I can actually affect my mind even more. I can speed up this process of getting well and getting whole if I use more of the tools. And the, the body in movement is a tool for self-betterment. 
Well, and that's been a common theme through all of the folks that we've talked to and throughout uh, the history of our wellness program. Um, it's becoming more and more evident to me and I think everybody else who's involved that, you know, the, the mind-body connection mm-hmm. is very, very powerful. Um, and we, we even talked about it in a, in a recent podcast where, you know, for, I don't know, for a long time, I think people looked at my mind is one thing and my body is something else, you know, Mm -hmm. and when I'm working on my mind, I'm not working on my body and vice versa. But, uh, I, even science would support that, you know, Hey, your nervous system is in your body. It's all connected. And, um, in my experience with yoga is the practice of this mindful movement has a huge impact on just the way that you think and Mm -hmm. the way you relate to your emotions and, um, and of course, there are a lot of physical benefits for you know the uh, you know the exercise that you know that you yeah. get from a yoga practice. But let's talk a little bit um, about the actual yoga practice, the asana practice. How is it different than other types of movement? So you know, in in our wellness program, we do a lot of um, step challenges. So mm-hmm. people are out moving their bodies and walking. Uh, we did a podcast recently with the Kettlebell Club guys, and we talked about strength training. Mm-hmm. Um, when you come into a yoga studio and get on your mat, it's a different type of movement. Yeah. Talk a little bit about what that movement is, how it is different, mm-hmm. um, sort of that mind-body connection as it relates to, to what we do on our mat, um, and, um, and, and, and also how, how, that, um, how the practice has shaped your own personal journey. Yeah. Um. First of all, it's good to remember that when we say even yoga now is modern postural yoga, there's a huge spectrum of what that looks like from very passive to very active to bordering on extreme gymnastics. And you don't need to be a gymnast, nor do you need to master gymnastics in order to benefit from yoga. So a lot of people, I think, feel left out because they they think, I can never do that. I'm not flexible enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not a natural gymnast. So let me just tell you, I'm not a natural gymnast. Um, You personally. Me personally. I was was not actually. I was terrible at gymnastics. (laughs) Um, I have weak wrists. (laughs) So um, I wasn't, wasn't an extreme athlete either. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of athletes that benefit from the yoga practice and that has that has pushed the yoga practice in an athletic direction. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're not missing the value of what yoga does really well. And I think, so it's just good to remember, yoga doesn't, isn't, isn't easy to define or pin down even today, even within the movement practice, it's very broad. But what I will say is that what makes yoga really different primarily is the symbolism with which we navigate a movement narrative. Like how we tell a story of logically clearing old patterns. So we do a posture, we, we might start on the floor with a slow warm up. we might move our hips in a particular way and move our feet in a particular way and then push into our feet. And when we push into our feet, we feel our relationship to the ground. And that relationship to the ground helps you feel steady. And when you feel steady, guess what? Over time, you start to get steady. And it, it, it becomes more um, pervasive, it expands into your life. It reinforces that pattern. It reinforces a, a new pattern of a sort of trust and um, really like per- personal autonomy, you know? Having personal autonomy with your body is life-changing. Most of us as adults perceive our body from the outside in. Right In our culture, we think about the body as being a thing that people see, or it's just this object that carries around our big heads. We don't feel it from the inside out. We don't feel our own sense of um, stability and adaptability in the body. And so this is really like the psychology of movement. That's what yoga is. It's like the psychology of movement. And yes, you'll get stronger. You're going to use body weight, depending on the style. You know, assuming that you're using a style that is using body weight to move your body through space, you will get stronger, especially if it's done well. Uh, You will get more flexible. You will connect to your core. You will learn coordination and body relationships. You will help to balance the left and right hemispheres of your brain just from playing with things like crossing the midline and movement. But all of that is wrapped into a practice where you pay attention as much as you can to every single thing you feel 
which sounds overwhelming, and it kind of is at first, until it's not, until it becomes a relief, until you start to feel, like I said, that autonomy, that kind of coming home to your body and feeling like it's a good, safe place to inhabit. You know, um, we work, the, the mind-body connection is pretty amazing. Um, and we're learning now through science that all of these like thousands of years old wisdom traditions are correct in the, in the value and the effect of these techniques that bring us towards being more whole and happy humans that it turns out it's all somehow true and pretty miraculous that they figured it out. Right. Oh, it's been amazing to me just in the last, you know, six or eight years. I mean, um, they teach yoga at hospitals and they're teach, you know, there's, there's acupuncturists that are available at fertility clinics and things like that. So many of these old, uh, contemplative practices that we think of as ancient have been brought back even into the modern medical community, uh, which it, it, it seems like, a uh, the evolution of, of a lot of different things all coming back together, which it's I think preve- is, is it's preventative medicine. Sure. I mean, the original medicine was preventative medicine. And today's medicine has basically been treating symptoms. And right. so maybe we're finding a middle ground. We're, I think we're finding a middle ground. I think a lot of people in the wellness world, in the more formal wellness world of, you know, um, you know, doctors and nurses and all these people out there, they, I've heard, you know, from my students, a, a longing to have more integration of, I mean, we call them Eastern and Western, but it's not really that. It's just more preventative, um, excuse me, more preventative treatment, lifestyle choices, really working with stress and patterns and habits that have formulated over time, you know, dismantling those patterns and getting our baseline as smooth as possible. So we don't have all of the epigenetic triggering of all of the things we're carrying around in our bodies. And then the doctors don't have to do nearly as much, you know, like, it's like, what is that, the little kid with his finger in the dam, you know, like plugging up the hole, that famous image. Sure. That's what I think of when you don't take care of yourself on the front end and then you go to the doctor. It's triage. It's triage. They're like, let me just make sure that the, the water doesn't escape the dam, then the dam doesn't explode. But you only have so many fingers to plug so many holes and then you got problems. So all of these systems are um, really being validated. And you don't need to believe anything. That's the cool thing. So you don't need to buy into the more esoteric and magical aspects. You can stick with the neuroscience. You can stick with the the, um, precise things that are available to us in the practices. And there, there really are some very obvious and precise benefits um, and you can let go of the rest. There's no requirement that you have to you know, buy into any particular ideology other than just that you want to feel good and, and well and whole and you're willing to show up for that. Sure. And that's what I, I really appreciated about the yoga practice. You can sort of get uh, out of it whatever whatever you're looking for. Um, if at least this has been my experience and you know, a lot of people I think walk into their first yoga class just because you know what, uh, my back hurts Mm -hmm. and I'm stiff and I don't feel like I move very well and I'm getting older and I'm worried that, you know, as I age, I'm not going to be able to, you know, stand up and walk properly and all those kind of things. And so, um, from your, from your perspective, is there, anything wrong with walking into a yoga studio just because, Hey, I'd really like to be a little bit more flexible, maybe gain some strength and just move better. I mean, is that a good reason to walk through the door? I think not everyone is interested in every aspect of yoga that's available to you. I think that the value of a consistent movement practice where you pay attention, whatever that looks like, if you're doing it, you're better for it. You know, if we want to talk about how I define yoga, I have very specific parameters for what I perceive as the value of yoga and what it is and how it works and the goals that I want. And if those don't resonate with you, that's okay because there's a million other places to practice yoga, but you just have to be an advocate for yourself and ask the question. And sometimes you don't, the thing is that when you're new, you don't know what you want yet. You have no idea. It's very like tip of the iceberg. You're like, whatever, it's stretching. The thing is everybody has a body. Is yoga for everybody? Yeah, everybody has a body. That we can all agree we on. We can agree on. Do you, can you breathe? Are you breathing? Yes. Do you have stress in your life? Yes. Do you want to feel better? Yes. Okay, then try some yoga. And if at first you don't so succeed, try a different style. I like that. I like that. So the, the prerequisites for a yoga practice are you have to have a body. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to breathe. Mm-hmm. 
uh, you have to acknowledge that you have stress in your life. Mm -hmm. What was was there another one? No, that's really it. Okay. So then basically that means yoga is accessible to everybody. Basically it is. And you have to advocate in, you know, if you're not sure where to start, or what to take, because there are studios out there that are going, you know, that are just really loud and really hot and really fast, and they're really not meant for a beginner. Um, and sometimes they're not really meant for an advanced student either. <laughs> sometimes sure. the advanced students and the beginners look the most similar, and the people right in the middle of the longevity of their practice are the ones doing the most crazy stuff. That's typically the truth, because the beginners are willing to go slow to learn, right? And the longtime practitioners are willing to slow down because there's more to uncover when you go slow. Well, that, that leads into another a good topic is just the, the breadth of yoga that's available in, in today's world. I mean, just right here in Charleston, I don't know, just downtown, but if you include Mount Pleasant, I don't know, there's got to be 12 or 15 at least different studios, maybe oh, more. Yeah, we've got more like 20, like four more just opened up. Okay. And, and, you know, I don't think I've been to all of them, but I've been to quite a few of them. And... What one, you know, what one studio teaches is yoga and another studio, uh, there's always some similarities. I mean, you're going to do a down dog in everyone usually, um, but the, the style of the practice can be wildly different. Um, and there's lots of yoga classes I've been to where there are people in there as young as 12 or 13 years old, all the way up to, I've been in practices with people in their nineties, um, and everything in between. And then there's certain other yoga, yoga studios that are, like you said, power vinyasa, hot yoga, and that tends to be more of your athletes and not one's right or wrong, but I think the point is, um, yoga as it is today in the, U- in the United States, at least is pretty accessible to just about everybody. So for people who think that, well, I'm too out of shape or I am too old or I'm not flexible enough, um, all of those are things that are very easy to overcome once you become your own advocate and find the mm-hmm. studio that, that, that matches what you're looking for. Is that, is that a... Yeah. I mean, the, the most popular style, and these are not... So, so yoga is bigger than a style of movement. Mostly what people are talking about when they talk about the type of yoga they practice, they mean the type of movement. Okay, but yoga is bigger than that. But the type of movement that's most popular in the United States is vinyasa yoga. And vinyasa yoga is rhythmic. It builds heat. Um, It is vigorous. It puts a lot of weight in your wrists. Um, And it ranges in vinyasa from styles that use lots of props that still go very slow, that teach in a quiet room, to to classes that are very, very, very fast and very sort of, like I said, gymnastic. Um, Vinyasa is accessible to a lot of people in the right space and it's not just studios but ask you know email the studio and ask them say you know I'm a beginner I have joint issues I want to move slowly I want to do you have a beginner's course almost every studio has a beginner's course that's going to explain some of the why some of the how you know and help you get confident and feel safe Um, and then asking the teachers too at any studio that you go to where, you know, where, where should I go? Where should I be? This is what I need. Or I don't know what I need, but that was really, really hard. And now I'm really, really sore. (laughs) Well, and, and, you know, I think, uh, and you bring up the part, uh, or part of what you're pointing at is, is the community aspect of yoga, which I think is one of the big draws for people. I think for, for most anyone, whether it be walking into a new gym or to a yoga studio, there is a sense of apprehension of, you know, am I ready for this? Am I going to, you know, is, is this the right place for me um what i have witnessed especially with the yoga practice is a really welcoming community in 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 most every studio i've walked into and to your point um most studios you can walk into and say hey i'm a beginner can you guys show me where to start um and most studios do have an introductory class a series class maybe that would be four to six weeks where you kind of get the basics and it's a really easy way to get started and meet a few people and um i know that's offered here but it's offered in most studios right yeah and some of the best um yoga for beginners that's that's really more accessible is actually offered out more in the community than in the studios now not 100 percent of the time but like um there are yoga programs for kids in all of the Title I schools in Charleston, but they also offer classes to a lot of the teachers. Um, there are classes at, at less 
sort of glamorous places like the Y. There are local classes happening at your gym. You know, there are local classes happening pretty much everywhere now. So what you need is an experienced teacher who doesn't have a, I don't know, a dog in the fight who's really willing to, te- to, to direct you as to where to go. I mean, everybody can email me if they have questions. I can. Sure. No, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. I mean, whether it be the MUSC gym here, they offer yoga there. Most CrossFit gyms offer a yoga class a week. Uh, most community centers have yoga class, and a lot of those classes are free. Right. Um, so there, there's lots of options out there to get started. And then, of course, there's a lot of online resources as well. There are. Um, I, you know, Yoga Glow was one that I used for a, lo- a long time when I had young kids and I couldn't get to the studio. So I think that the online stuff is helpful for people who are nervous about going into a studio or for people who have an established practice who just want a little guidance sometimes and can't get into the studio space to practice. I will say, though, that long term, you need to practice with a teacher. If you're going to get serious and stick with it, eventually you need to find a style and a teacher uh, that you resonate enough with to be committed and to build a relationship with. And isn't part of that too, because to have someone actually watching you move, because oh, yeah. sometimes you maybe think you're moving in one oh, direction yeah. or in one way, but you're actually, yeah. I mean, I know you. Proprioception is weird. Like pe- people, okay, let's people talk. think that their what arm is, is in proprioception? It's knowing where your body is in space. Okay. Okay. So when you tell someone to like lift their right arm by their ear and then they do this, they put their hand by their ear and you say, no, your arm. And so then they do this. They put their arm up in a different way. <laughs> like your bicep by your, by your ear. And then they're like, well, what the heck's a bicep, you know, or whatever. I mean, that's just non-anatomical knowledge, lack of anatomical knowledge. But, or even just saying, ah, lengthen your spine. Well, what do you mean lengthen my spine? Lengthen your spine like this. And you're like, oh, well, I see you doing it, but I don't know how I'm supposed to do it. And then I have to go, okay, bend your knees, tilt your, your backside up a little bit higher, press more into your middle knuckle, you know, of your index finger, press down there or whatever. You know, I'm just making some, I'm imagining sure. a downward facing dog in my mind. Um, you can't, even if someone gives you the exact same information because they're not seeing whether you're doing it or not, they can't give you the feedback. You need feedback from an outside source. That's just, that's, and also it's awesome. Yeah. No. Once you get over how weird it is, like once, and I don't mean like weird, like, oh, it's really magical and there's incense or whatever. I just mean that it's, it's weird to, as adults, to go back into a place of studentship at first, to not know, to not be right, to be unsure of yourself, but. Beginner's mind. Beginner's mind. It's also really liberating and exciting and it will help you tap into your potential again. You know, I I think that's one of the most interesting and exciting things about the wellness journey is because there is such a breadth of opportunity to explore all these different modalities, even even as it relates to food. I mean, all Mm -hmm. these different ways of eating and, you know, try out being a vegan for a while. Try out the carnivore diet. Try out keto. I mean, you know, you have all these different options and. Um, having uh, someone there to guide you along that path, mm-hmm. there, there's learning that happens there. To me, that's always been one of the coolest parts about it is knowing that there's always more to know and yeah. having and, and and searching for those teachers. And maybe it's because you want to be a better cyclist, or if you know you want to start a yoga practice, or you want to learn to lift weights. I mean, finding someone who's further along the path than you are that can give you guidance. Um, is is a key to a lot of things in life, I think. And it's a tradition that humans have, we've done since the beginning of time to have a practice, right? To, to, be, to, to be in a state of relationship with others, to have teachers. It's always been done. Only, it's only recently that we've had this sort of isolation as adults. And I think... I think we really tap into, on some level, like our, our, our childlike, you know the term joie de vivre, it just means like joy of life. It's like our childlike, there's a, there's a pleasure in, in curiosity and just being curious about what's actually going on here. Sure. And that's, it's fun. It's not, I mean, it sounds serious and it is serious. Suffering is serious. Stress is serious. But also, you know, the first time that you get into downward facing dog and, and your shoulders don't shake and you take a full breath and you feel connected to something and you can't even put your finger on it. It's hard to explain because it's a feeling, not really a thought. It's a feeling. It, 
it it creates a kind of joy. There's an inherent joy that's liberated in people, and that um, we should have access to that. And I guess as a teacher, you get to witness that on a daily basis. Yeah, I say the the most rewarding part of the job is seeing people become empowered. Mm-hmm. I'm not and not attached to me, although I like that too because I like the reciprocity of those relationships. I have really learned about love through teaching yoga for 16 years because people showed up on that mat while I was teaching and they kept showing up and every time they'd show up, I would have to show up. And so it was it was relational. You're going to make I'm crying. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um yeah, you, you, start to do, you start to throw in together this effort to be um, in integrity. And, and there's a lot of um, compassion that develops. And that you have, it's so great. In a studio, you end up with relationships with people that aren't like you. I mean, you were kind of like-minded in, in what you're doing there, but you come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. You have different body types. You have different ages. You have different you know, people who are into really different things in the same space finding commonality. I, I agree with you. I think that is one of the joys of the yoga practice, maybe more so than other types of movement practice or exercise or whatever you want to call it. There's something about the yoga studio because it is so accessible for all body types. Like you said before, if you got a body, if you can breathe and you have stress, the doors open. Right. And uh, the community aspect of being a part of a, a yoga studio um, gives you uh, access to a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds. Um, and, and that community piece can really enrich your life. And mm-hmm. um, you meet people from different backgrounds that you might not come into contact with. And um, that I, I think that's, you know, we talk a lot, you know, a lot of this wellness stuff is about what, what can I do to make myself stronger, make myself more flexible, make myself feel better, healthier. But um, the thing is so cool for me about yoga is it sort of bridges both of those. You know, you're going to get stronger. You're going to get more flexible. Your balance is going to get better. But there is a, a community component, um, uh, uh, integrating with other people from different backgrounds that is uh, as, as impactful and, and sometimes maybe more so. Listen, think about it this way. The practice, when done well, helps you clear out old stuff that that resides in the body. We know that stress, that even ideas, beliefs, memories, they all lodge in our body in patterns, in tension patterns. So headaches, headaches, jaw pain, digestive issues, back pain. I mean, you name it, right? We've, I mean, everyone's experienced stress that manifests itself in In their body. body, Right. And, and plus old memories that you don't even know you're still carrying around. So there's an aspect of it, which is about clearing old patterns. And then it's as you clear the system and you get used to keeping it clear more consistently, you become more like a, um, it's more like energy just flows through you, you know, stuff happens, you process it, you move it through. It doesn't get hung up for as long. You don't have to carry it around for as long. It doesn't stay in your system as long. You process it, you digest it, you get it out of there. And then what's left, you organize like what the parts that you want to keep, you organize, you organize your body in space, but you also organize your body with your heart and your mind. And guess what? Your body, your heart, and your mind get more organized. And then you just expand the same process within your relationships. So in your community, you do the same thing. You get, or you get, you get into relationship, right? You get integrated. You feel the connections. You get rid of the stuff that's not working and what's left you work with. You know, and then we just keep growing that bigger and bigger. So it becomes, I tell people in teacher training, that this is again, a little, a little lofty. I'm a a bit of a nerd, Um, but asana, which means movement. So movement in service of prana, prana means energy, but movement in in, in service of energy, okay? And then energy in service of consciousness, making conscious choices. And those conscious choices in service of good. You know, so it starts in the body, but it expands. And, um, and, ev- and everybody can do it. it uh, you don't, again, you don't have to be a body type. You don't have to be of a, of a you can be completely secular. You can be um, Christian. You can be, you can study Islam. You can do, it doesn't really matter. You can be poor. You can be rich. And yeah, yoga is, people are like, oh, yoga is expensive. First of all, no, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. You should see what, the, I mean, CrossFit's expensive. <laughs> Yoga's not expensive. Right. Um, 
but you know, if you can't afford it, honestly, if you just ask most studios, not all, not the big corporate ones, but all those mom and pop studios like my studio where it's just a real human without like a huge mega corporation behind it. Um, we work with people. If they want to be here and they sh- want to show up, we work with them. Sure. Sliding scale rates. We don't talk about it a whole lot because then you got like everybody wants the free cheeseburger on Tuesday, you know. But it's, it's, it's available to you. I forgot my train of thought, but now I want a cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with the cheeseburger right now and then. Um, You've mentioned uh, the breath several times. Oh, yeah. um, we've talked about, you know, mindfulness has been a big theme for us uh, over the last year. Um, you know, mindfulness uh, in, 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 in the sense of how we show up at work, um, using the breath to calm, you know, to be able to uh, calm stress and, 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 and all those kind of things. But talk a little bit about how the breath, because the breath is a big part of the yoga practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took, at least I know me personally, a while to figure out that whole linking breath with movement. But expand a little bit about, about breath and movement and how that plays into the yoga practice and the benefits of, of the breath. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, so I'll end my question there. <laughs> Thank you, sir. So, <laughs> the breath uh, is part of the autonomic nervous system, right? And it is pretty fascinating because your breath happens when you're sleeping, right? You don't have to breathe. You don't have to think about breathing to breathe. Your body does it without you having to consciously choose to do it. But if you take a deep breath in and hold it, so go ahead. and then out through the nose. All right, so that was a conscious effort, right? And you controlled, at least temporarily, your breath. You had an effect. So it's this readily available resource where we can affect our nervous system almost instantaneously by changing the way that we breathe. Even just paying attention to your breathing changes your breathing. So even if we're trying to not change it, doing something formal like holding the breath, but we're just trying to let the breath flow as it should, we find that we typically have patterns of holding the breath randomly when we don't realize it, right? Either holding on an inhale or just not breathing. People, people will just sit around and then suddenly go, <gasps> right? You know, and, and you breathe all the time. You're taking it in, you're letting it go. You're taking it in, you're letting go. You're taking in, you're letting go. And so it is the thing that not only becomes a place for us to pay attention in a practice in yoga, because that's where it starts. You just go, oh, use it as a, an anchor for your attention. So when your mind wanders, and our minds are getting more and more inclined to wandering. I mean, smartphones are designed to be addictive. Every, pretty much everything we come into contact with now is designed to entangle us and distract us, right? It's, that's, that's why it's a gajillion dollar <laughs> model. Sure. But it means that our brains are just that much more tempted to jump from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And so the breath first becomes a tool of awareness. It says to come back, come back. It's like the, it's like the never ending mantra of come back, be right here, sit right here, feel what you're feeling, be here. Hey, where are you? Oh, take a breath. Oh, I'm right here. You know? And so that becomes number one. But then number two, it is really, really valuable because of the way it affects the nervous system. So if we can take a smooth breath, we change a stress pattern in our system very quickly. I mean, you're, you're affecting oxygen balance, but you're also affecting fight or flight versus rest and digest. And that's where it gets really powerful. We can actually train ourselves to keep our breath smooth in a way that suggests to our body that we're in rest and digest while moving through something somewhat challenging. So you teach yourself- like a yoga practice. Yeah, you teach yourself to be in a state of working without effort that is unnecessary. So without like spinning out into a stress response while something is difficult, you find your feet, you stay with your breath, and you do the things that are asked of you to the extent that you can, but you keep finding your feet and you keep staying with your breath and suddenly you realize, I'm very strong. You know, I can do something difficult. And it's not like, oh, it doesn't have to be, I'm not suggesting that you need to put yourself through paces and could take the hardest yoga class ever to get these benefits. In fact, sometimes, again, that's not always the best. Slower can often be better. Um, But you eventually realize that you're hardy, 
You know, you're not only are you are you creating more hardiness in your system, but you're also encouraging um, some some trust in yourself. And it and it it really is fundamental to the breath. And the cool thing is too, once you do a, a regular yoga practice long enough and you really get connected to your breath, then for example, when I go and I see Mike and uh, Brett at um, the kettlebell club and I go lift with them once a week, I'm in my breath while I'm lifting. And they want you to be anyways. It's a different kind of breathing, but the lines start to blur from what is yoga and what is not for me. And like everything that I do is that kind of be here now. Yeah. Right. Land in this moment, breathe into it, all that stuff, show up completely. Again, that's, you know, I'm trying to bring this back over and over again to the theme of starting small with something that seems simple and feeling how it expands to touch every aspect of your life. Okay. Um, yeah, I love all that. Um, let's see. We've talked a lot about, you know, uh, what a yoga practice looks like, how to get started. Um, you know, what should a novice expect? Um, you know, I'm going to start a regular practice. Uh, I've enrolled in, in, in a, uh, in a beginner's class, you know, what should should a new person expect over the first few weeks of having you know practicing once a week twice a week um how long does it take to begin to feel the effects of of the practice um you know because well i mean there's a lot of people listening um who probably have a a um a developed practice and have been longtime practitioners. There's a lot of people who probably never walked into a yoga studio, but, um, if, if people want to get started, um, they should expect what? Well, it's varied because remember it depends on the style, but let's say you are rolling out your mat twice a week. And to be fair, once a week is going to be enough that you're going to start to learn the ropes, but the benefits are going to start to happen two to three times a week practice is really what you need. And you don't need two to three times a week, 90 minutes. You might get to a place where you do two times a week in the studio or with a group and once at home and it's only 20 minutes and it's just a few postures. It's a few stretches, a little deep breathing, um, a little quiet time to yourself. You know, it doesn't have to be this huge thing all the time, but consistency is key. Um, so you need that repetition. And I think what you'll find first is that you're sore. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like you're gonna, most, most, new, like types of most new types of exercise or movement practices, you, you are going to feel some aches and some discomfort, but usually within a month, a lot of discomfort in your body that you were carrying around anyways, is going to go away. That's very typical that there will be a lot of relief, especially dealing with things like low back pain, um, tension, headaches tend to go, t- tend to go away, things like that. Um, you, again, dependent on the practice, you are going to feel more calm, more steady. You'll start to notice that, uh, for example, for myself, my first yoga class, what, it was a power yoga class, which again, that's one of those really popular movement styles. It's not what I teach at all anymore. It's not how I practice anymore, but it was, you know, I was 23 years old and um, it's what was offered. And it was, a, again, it was a loud it was mute, loud music, and it was very sweaty, um, rhythmic music, lots of almost like push-up type movements. But the class had a, a quality of warming up at the beginning, moving towards a sort of arc of effort, and then back down onto the ground and these slow opening things, at the postures at the end that ended with you on your back. And this is typical in something called Shavasana, where you lay on your back. And I do remember that t- teacher. Oh my gosh, you know who that teacher was? This wasn't wasn't my first yoga class ever, but it was my first yoga class in Charleston. It was Lynn Talley. No kid. She had just been certified like six months before, and that was my first yoga class. Um, she turned the music off in Shavasana while we were laying on our backs with our eyes closed, and I felt something happen the very first time, the very first time. And I don't really know how to describe it, but I went home that night, and I told my boyfriend at the time, I'm going to be a yoga teacher someday look at you now. Yeah. And it happened, of course, years and years. Well, not years later, I got invited to teach very quickly, but, um, well, that's cool. That brings a full circle. I mean, Lynn, Lynn's done a lot of work with our, with our company. And Lynn and I've worked together off and on for years. She's a dear friend and she gets it. 
Yeah, she, she, and she always has. Yeah, she absolutely does. Um, well, um, before, uh, you know, one thing we wanted to do was for you to kind of show us a few of the movement practices. Um, so we'll let you kind of get out and move around. But before we did that, since you did bring up the arc of a class in real general terms, can you explain, you know, um, what, what that means, the arc of a class mm -hmm. and what people can expect from, you know, standing poses to being on the floor to, mm -hmm. you know, explain that arc in real general terms okay. and then maybe we'll get to watch it. I think that one of the reasons that yoga is so popular with people who don't typically resonate with a lot of, or they're not consistent with a lot of other forms of exercise and they find suddenly that they love yoga, it has a lot to do with the fact that it's a movement narrative, especially in vinyasa yoga. Um, and what I mean by a movement narrative is that it has a, a feeling of a journey. Sure. Every single practice has a feeling of a journey. Like it has a beginning and in the beginning of practice, you're going to start typically, not always, but I'll say typically low to the ground and you're going to do something called a centering. Okay. So that's always going to be some sort of simple movement pattern, breath work, attention practice to get you in your body and in the room. Before you start being aggressive, you land, you show up, you start to warm up. So that's centering. We call it centering and sometimes centering and puttering. And puttering is like doing these small warm-up movements that lead to, or almost like um, are foreshadowing for a larger movement pattern that you're going to see later in the practice. And then eventually you get into hands and knees and then up into something like downward facing dog, which I'll show you in a little while because it's just the most famous posture maybe ever. Um, you get into downward facing dog and then you're going to end up in standing. And then you start what's the call, I would call the body of the practice. And it has um, the almost like phrases, four or five poses in a row in a certain order. Each one kind of builds on, relates to, or counter poses kind of balances out what you just did. And you do a long sequence on each side. Sometimes you do multiple sequences, building to a certain quality of of effort and completion and then you hit a point where the, the, it's like a tipping point right the story's been told and now you need resolution so you start to bring it back down into a kind of surrendering to gravity um, a, a period of deep stretches on the ground longer holds lower to the earth slower movements quiet um, it has a feeling a, a little bit of being like gently wrung out and then left there to to just, you know, be yourself to melt. Kind of, to melt. Yeah. And so you end up finally on your back in this pose of rest and Shavasana means corpse pose, which is terrifying, but also really liberating because what you're doing is setting aside all effort and allowing what you've already done to, cause it keeps, the thing is that it, when you do this kind of work, energetic work, um, or, or for, for that matter, when you do work with the nervous system in any way, there's, a, there's residual stuff that's playing itself out. When you're done moving, it's still moving inside you. It's still working on you. So you need to take that. It's kind of like when you go to your acupuncturist, actually, and you know, and they put the needles in, and then they leave, and then they come back in, and they take your pulse, and they like see if the turkey's done, and the turkey's not done, and they leave again. <laughs> Like my acupuncturist usually has to leave three times. She's like, calm down. Why won't you calm down? Your pulse is terrible. She does not say my pulse is terrible. She's super nice. But um, I feel like I'm always letting her down. Like, man, I got to relax more. I guess I need to try yoga. Well, you have access <laughs> to it. Someone told me it was cool. What was my point, dude? Oh, so that at the end of that, even still, or hour after a massage, you know, you sure. get the body work done. They cover you up and they say, take your time. A really good massage therapist leaves five or 10 minutes at the end where you shouldn't be moving and they shouldn't be touching you. You should just be integrating. Like that's a great, and that's what it is in Shavasana, that corpse pose. You're kind of like letting all of the effort and all of the grasping, anything that's left over go and you just let things resolve and play out. It's kind of a receiving period of time. Sure. It's the integration. It's the end. integration. And it's really important. And if you go to a studio that has a two-minute shavasana, it's not worth your time. If you don't do the integrating part, then go for a run instead. Because you don't, you shouldn't, you know what I mean? Like, don't, don't do yoga if you're going to leave the yoga out. So it def you definitely need to have a long enough period of time at the end of practice where there's a sense of everything dissolving and resolution for your nervous system that's super important but that's the arc you know warm up work 
uh, wind down rest. But it has, a, it has a, like I said, a quality of journey, and that's why it's so evocative for people. Well, it's had a big impact on my life, um, and I know a lot of other people's lives, and um, you've been a, a, a wonderful resource for this community and beyond. So uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge and mm-hmm. dropping all that truth on us uh, about the yoga practice. And hopefully we've inspired some people to lift up the curtain and, and come check out the practice. Um, if you do have questions, uh, you can always reach out to me. I can connect you with Kelly. Um, Kelly, do you have any, um, you know, books, resources? Uh, are there a- a- any of your favorite teachers that you want to share with the group? We can put them in the show notes at the end, but it's always nice for people sometimes to be able to flip through a book before they walk through the door. Yes. Um, my favorite resource that I like to pass along to people has both active and and passive practices in it and a lot of really beautiful discussion around the practice of yoga. It's called Insight Yoga and it's by my teacher Sarah Powers and she's the person I studied yin yoga with initially and um, you know there's a lot of pictures she shows three or four variations of each posture with different amounts of props which is like little blocks pillows. You can you can flub that at home with rolled up towels and using pillows off your bed. It doesn't have to be fancy stuff from large corporations. I will not name. It could be that stuff, but you don't need it to be that stuff. It can be, you can be your pillows and stuff like that. Um, so insight yoga with Sarah powers and then, um, Oh, and then online yoga. Anytime is an online you mentioned. What was the one you mentioned? Yoga glow. Yoga glow is really famous. Um, yoga anytime, I really like the woman who started that program and it's an online membership and you have access to a lot of different kinds of smart teachers that are going to again work lots of different styles so you can read about them but there's more yin there's more um, therapeutic stuff on there um, more meditative they're both very good I my preference is yoga anytime I like Kira the woman who started it she's really cool um I mean, and there's like a million more things I could say, but I think that's a good jumping off point. And then, like you said, people can reach out and ask. I'm happy to, I'm happy to look up your area for you and based on what you need, tell you, you know, give you the first three names of the people you should reach out to. Okay. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you for your time. This has been really uh, insightful. Cool. Thank you. All right. 